Hello, I'm David Hepworth. Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear, the latest of hundreds of chats Mark Allen and I have had over recent years, some between ourselves and others with musicians, authors, comedians, and other people we like. If you'd like to help make sure they continue, you might consider becoming a Patreon supporter by visiting patreon.com slash wordinyourear or just by liking or subscribing in whatever way you prefer. On with the show. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. You're listening to a podcast from The Word. So, Bob Dylan. Yes, Bob Dylan has, uh, well, he's, he's, he's banned the use of telephones, isn't he, of phones, of people having phones in the audience at his concerts, which is fair enough. When you get to one of his gigs now, your phone is, well, not confiscated, but you have to hand it over, don't you? And it's put in a bag and you're not allowed to uh, you know, use it until you pick it up later. And do you know what? I kind of have a lot of... I've got a bit of sympathy with him, actually, for various reasons. I mean, one is, clearly, he's trying to, um, you know, he's trying to kind of stop very low-fi, poor-quality clips of his set going out and, and ruining the surprise of some of the songs he's playing, etc. But more importantly, what must it be like when you get on stage and you stare at a forest of iPhones? Which, which you do, don't you? I mean, you see any clip of anybody, you go look at the stones in Hyde Park. I mean, you can't see the stones for a great mass of people holding phones up. And that must be very dispiriting as a performer, don't you think? I think he's absolutely right. I can't, I believe, I can't believe nobody's done it before. I know, really. I know. Has he actually explained why this is being done? But I th- I'm sure you're right about those reasons. And I think it is mainly the latter rather than the former. It's just, it's... You're you're performing for a bunch of people who manifestly, half of whom are manifestly not paying attention. That's they're doing something different. You know, it's as if they were writing down what you were saying or something. You know, or they they wouldn't do that. It could be a lot harder to do. Well, we had the same Um, experience. Do we? We went to Wimbledon. We talked. Well, this is just what I was going to say. You know, we we were we're in the very best seats on Centre Court in Wimbledon, watching Nadal in a wonderful game, and there were. Two women, particularly right in front of you and me, weren't there, in, yeah. the, in the, the kind of evening session, who had between them or were working their way through an entire bottle of white wine, which I couldn't help feel is a little bit of a distraction in itself. You know? Oh, God. And I spending did, the entire time I did, holding up glasses. I, I, 
do feel if you if you go to a major sporting occasion of any kind, okay, I'm going to throw this out there, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. and a, a, a cup final or a test match or whatever, you have a social duty, Mark, not to be pissed. Absolutely. Okay? you got to be there. You've got to be in the moment. You've got to be enjoying it. Yeah. If you want to get pissed, go to the pub and get pissed. It's perfectly adequate places you can go and do that. But the idea that you should annoy and that you can, you the can only you. no, but even regardless of what you're doing to anybody else, what a pathetic reflection on you as a human being. I can only tolerate this yeah. exhi- exhibition of of athletic prowess at its very highest level. Yeah. If I'm half cut, you know what I mean. And yet, well, I need and to be half cut to remind myself that I'm enjoying myself. But I, I think it all stems back to the Instagram, uh, as we were saying the other day. It, it, those those girls were spending the entire time, and they were mostly girls actually, holding up glasses of rosé, weren't they? Photographing yeah. them with the royal box in the far distance, and with Nadal in the, in, in the front line, or Kyrgios, whoever it was, and and they, <laughs> in order to send to their friends, saying, "I've got all this, but at the forefront of the picture, I'm getting absolutely hammered." And you think that is just. Oh. But also, Mark. But also, Mark. What what were you also saying when you're doing that kind of thing and you're sending those those messages to people? What you're saying is more important to me than watching Nadal or listening to Bob Dylan. More important to me than being with my friends and having a drink. Even more important than that is showing off to you that I'm here and you're not. It's just pathetic, you know, on every level. And also, moving along from the two women in front of us, wasn't there a guy along who was actually pretty much broadcasting the match live to a maid of his who was in a car somewhere. Yeah, he was. He was. Who was following the game on a phone. Yeah. And this is a game that's no doubt available on, you know, Five Live or whatever if you are, if you are minded but to you follow what was... But you want it from your pissed on. mate. <laughs> Love a personal <laughs> commentary. Ridiculous. You Just know. to compound so, our sense of irritation. Oh, my goodness me. It was incredible. I think so. I think Bob Dylan is entirely right. I so can't believe I. nobody's done it before. And um, and actually, what we ought to move towards is a kind of discount or, or or some kind of privileged status for people who don't take phones to gigs. Yeah, you, you, you can only go in the front ten rows or something if you don't take phones. You know, you, you can go with the hoi polloi. That'll be absolutely fine up the back, and you ruin each other's fun. But uh, but not not in the special sections. But it must be no, miserable having no sense of personal reaction with anybody at all because they're just so busy filming you. I mean that must just yes. drive you absolutely crazy. So while we're talking about um, favourite subject, which is you know uh, the world going to hell in a handcart, <laughs> um, our speciality know, subject, a speciality <laughs> subject. <laughs> No, it just struck me. You and I were talking this week about I I done an interview with Sheila Fogarty, the broadcaster from LBC, who's who's done a very good little podcast about her unfortunate, terrible experience of being stalked, and nothing nothing really terrible came of it. But it's it's a horrible experience for anybody to have. And you know, there's been there's all these the stories that Emily Maitlis has had a stalk oh, for twenty story. years or yeah, something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. And there was a I happened to see a story in the uh, in the in some way yesterday that the Beckhams have had a most recent problem: somebody turning up at their daughter's school, 
claiming that they were supposed to be taking her home from school. I mean, just, and this is what I thought. This is what I thought, Mark. Is it possible that right now any anybody taking any notice of this kind of level of appalling antisocial behaviour, it might result in them... We, we might develop a, a, a generation... Who, who, of whom not one in their right minds could possibly think that being famous was in any way desirable. No, not remotely. Anymore. Could it just stop, you know what I mean? Because if you are, if you're a famous footballer or actor or, a, well, it doesn't happen to rock stars because it's not that famous anymore, actually. Although, it, yeah, it probably does happen to certain ones. Yeah, actually, it does. Um you know, because the profiles of rock stars are a lot lower than they used to be, aren't they? You know? Yeah. Because the profiles, are, the profiles of, uh, of film stars and TV stars and, and footballers and so forth. You know, the attention that you that you draw to that is drawn to you is as likely to be to be malign as benign, isn't it? You know what I mean? It they is. will have all kinds of. I'm trying to remember who it was at the beginning of lockdown. We talked about. I think it was Robbie Williams. Talked about somebody had tweeted saying that they are actually quite enjoying the fact that everyone had to wear a mask because they hadn't been to Sainsbury's for years. And he could go into Sainsbury's with a hat on and, uh, and a mask and no one knew who he was. And it really brought it home to me how absolutely, no, absolutely. miserable and how absolutely imprisoned you must be. And that whole absolutely. thing about being that famous where if you go out the front door, do you just to go and buy a pint of milk? Or whatever, do you, I mean, do you still have to... Are you kind of officially on? Do you have to be, be cautious about what you wear? And, you know, oh, just it's unspeakable misery. You know, and I think, I think it's fair to say, I think the overwhelming majority of people are perfectly reasonable and wouldn't dream of indulging in a, you know, trespassing in anybody's space in any way. But you only need to have a significant minority to make the lives of the famous absolutely miserable, yeah. you know. And, I, and and so many of these cases... And how much easier it is to do it? You don't have to necessarily physically turn up and stand on somebody's doorstep. You can just constantly barrage them on social media. Everything they say, you can you can react to in a, in a, in a vicious and Yeah, well, there's this way. terrible case. People may have read those. Jeremy Vine was giving oh, evidence. Oh, God, yeah, yeah, yeah. In a case this week where, uh, where somebody... Formerly worked in in local radio, you know, which yeah. is the kind of thing that was send a shiver down the spine of anybody who remembers that series of Alan Partridge, where uh, you know <laughs> goes into the house where it's covered in. Isn't pictures. it a shrine? It's a shrine. It's a Alan Partridge. <laughs> you know, I, you mentalist. Know, oh That's where the phrase God. "mentalist" came from, didn't it? Oh, in this appalling. case, this case involved loads of uh, you know weren't necessarily household names, but they were broadcasters yeah, on local yeah, yeah, radio yeah, or whatever. Yeah. Jeremy Vine obviously is a household name and you know so he was the person who was taking it on, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. And but by God, they these people have my sympathy. So uh, that's why you and I, Mark, are so right in keeping up our current level of almost total so invisibly low. <laughs> the word podcast Prime cuts of popular culture served fresh each week. Well, we just um, interviewed um, Dave Davies of the Kinks for a, for a pod, um, and he's just got a, a book out, which had some extraordinary revelations. It's called Living on a Thin Line. And, uh, and he's... Uh, I mean, I just 
just fascinating stuff. Yeah, it, very interesting about his legacy, wasn't he? I mean, he's firstly, that's fair enough, and that's not a great surprise that he thinks that the Who, Hendrix, and the Doors, etc., were influenced by the by the Kinks' early sound, and that the Clash and the Indian Madness and Blur by the later slightly kind of music hall stuff. And uh, you know, and he's absolutely right, I think, to feel aggrieved that that the that the Kinks aren't quite accorded that kind of level of of, of respect. Uh, probably because they kind of fizzled out slightly as a live act towards the end and never kept themselves in the frame. There's a lot of stuff in the book, is there, about the fact that they, they were let down by their managers when they were touring America. And they were completely unprotected. Larry Page was off kind of producing orchestral versions of their uh, of their tunes. And I think signing Sonny and Cher rather than being with them and holding their hands every time they played gigs. And so they were having to argue all about the money and settle all the disputes themselves. And they, 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 they kind of engineered a very... Uh, a very kind of uh, uh, grumpy kind of uh, uh, signature, didn't they? Where people just thought we, we we just can't deal with this group, and they were blacklisted, weren't they? Blacklisted eventually from mm -hmm. the American tour circuit, you know. And uh, and there's a lovely little bit about about when Ray, I think, is just suffering from general ill health and exhaustion. And they do a two week tour, a European tour, with a Ray Davis stand in. Do you remember that bit? And nobody <laughs> notices. And oh, that's fantastic. And lovely stuff, I thought, about the whole concept of kinkiness, which is a kind of uniquely mid-60s British, indeed. Is he, all, he, concept, he said that he, he always feel that he didn't like the, <laughs> didn't like the name The Kings. No, no, no. Which is kind of ironic, because it's probably, it's probably one of the key defining you know, characteristics of The Kings. It is. He, wanted to, he always thought a better name was The Ramrods. The Ramrods, <laughs> that was his first group, we The would, Ramrods. We wouldn't have been talking about them now no, if they the were called The Ramrods. No, The Kings are a great name. Think, think about The Kings, and also just to remind people who aren't, who aren't as elderly as you, you and I, is that kinky and the whole kinky was a whole world in the sixties? You know, what I mean, it ranged from kind of boots. See, you know, it was fashion stuff. It was skirts. It was boots. Yeah. It was caps. Also, hunting but boots. But also, jumpers. it was kinky. But also, it was kinky behaviour. Yeah. In the sense of all that stuff that we would now rather pompously describe as transgressive. Yeah, absolutely. One way or another. In those days, we're just given the kind of a, you know, the, the umbrella term kinky. It was, yeah. oh, that's kinky. And one of the surprising facets to me of the book is that he, he writes very honestly about the fact that we were very correct if we were, you know, if, 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 if people at home watching The Kinks doing Well-Respected Man or Dedicated Follower of Fashion or him doing Death of a Clown, Came to the conclusion that there was uh, there was more uh, he he was more polysexual than uh, that we might on the face of oh, it yeah. have appeared. They were absolutely right in oh, this. Completely. No, he's and he's very very uh, keen to point out how energetically. Uh, What's the word? He's got an equal opportunities uh, <laughs> man, wasn't he? Well, he has a major affair yeah. with Long John Baldry at one point. And, uh, uh, but it's more. Listen, David Bowie comes out in 1971 or whatever and says I'm bisexual. Dave Davis had had good reason to say that's old news, Very matey. old news. I've been doing that for years. I know, you know? I, absolutely. And when we asked him about it, it said it was, uh, presumably that's something that the, you know the, the, your, your your press officer was going to keep quiet. He said, "Well, it was illegal at the time, which you forget actually." It was a very good point. It was it, it, it really was illegal. Actually, you kind of think, why wasn't he more open about it? But anybody was also open about it on a, on a local level, you know. Yeah. So it's so incredible. It, 
Here, here he is. Here he is just talking about it. You have, you know, there's a bit where you have a love affair with Long John Baldry and things like that. I mean, those kind of things weren't things you talked about in, in interviews at the time, were they? No, it, it was because yeah, homosexual early was illegal until 1966. Yeah. And, uh, in, but in showbiz or the theatre or the arts or all those allied parallel businesses, um, there was a lot of um, homosexuality or experimentation yeah. rather than... Um, and uh, it, was a, it was quite an eye-opener when I realised a lot of, you know... Uh, people experimented in the arts and it wasn't what they called everyday life you know, attitudes and, yeah. and sexuality and art you know it's all, all about finding out searching this whole purpose of art is finding out trying out this is a junction in the word podcast. It separates that bit from this next bit. That's Dave Davis talking to us about uh, his his book, Living on a Thin Line, which is out now. Mark. Well, I was going to mention Word magazine because it was 10 years ago, pretty much to the day, wasn't it, that Word magazine closed. And I was going to say to you, and I'm sure you probably feel the same about you, how I... I, I, what mixed feelings I have, because, I mean, obviously it's a great sense of, of sorrow and, and regret, but there's also an enormous sense of relief, actually. And, oh, huge. Uh, it was, huge. What, I, what I was a noble cause. When people say something's a noble cause, you kind of think, oh, that's oh, an struggle. And I can remember <laughs> when it closed, Andrew Harrison, uh, I don't know if it was a public thing or he just sent it to me as an email, I can't remember, but I've kept it anyway. And Andrew Harrison had this brilliant thing. Andrew Harrison was the kind of features head, one of the main uh, creative engines of the magazine. And he said, word was like being asked to join the Magnificent Seven. He said, uh, there were bad times and the village, these were bad times and the village needed people to defend its values, beliefs and principles. A few old gunmen had come out of retirement, found for one last job. <laughs> and in our hearts, we knew we were headed for a chest full of lead. But people would write songs about us and the most beautiful girl in the village would wear black for the rest of her life. <laughs> if the word died, it would die with its boots on. I thought that was really good. Actually, it, made me, it reminded me of what, what kind of what kind of harmony. You were constantly kind of stopping holes in dams and constantly fighting the tide and constantly trying to kind of keep the whole thing going, you know. I mean, all virtually all magazines, you know, have just have their era. There's an era they define it, smash it or let it, let it rock or the face or cue or whatever. And Word was a kind of snapshot, wasn't it, of 2002, to 2012, you know, and I was very proud of the fact that it was like a little club and it never made you feel bad for liking something or never made you feel unfashionable or, or awkward or outmoded or whatever. And it tended to cover things it enthused about and it forgot about the rest. And I, I, I'm, I'm, I think the fact it was way ahead on things like, uh, you know, about long form telly and writing about songwriters, and not bands, you know, people that you could grow old with, uh, people who got better as they got older. Which there aren't that many. You know, Tom Waits, Lucinda Williams, John Prine, Leonard Cohen, Nick Cave, Nick Lowe. Um, it wrote about film directors, not actors, mostly. 
It wrote about authors, not books. And it was very, very hot on the whole iPod boom, people's appetite for just new tracks, you know. But I miss, I mean, I miss the people. I don't know how much I miss the magazine. I, I miss, I miss the people. But it was a Dunkirk spirit, wasn't it? You know, I felt, I felt very responsible for the sales a lot of the time. You know, you, you, you were, you were kind of like the little corner shop in the shadow of the giant mega stores. You know, you were, you, you had the, the, the long shadows of Q and Mojo, <laughs> uh, uh, and you, you had to kind of just keep the boat afloat. And I can remember the big triumphs. You know, I can remember. The, do you remember the John Peel cover? That was yeah. fantastic. John Peel cover pinned up in newsagents. And, uh, you know, the, the various others, the Roger Waters, the Amy Winehouse, the Joni Mitchell. Um, but one thing I, I really felt about it was that I miss having made a physical product. I miss I missed the, the feeling of, of, of when it's done and you've got something that you've created, the physical thing, you can leaf through it. What I don't miss was actually working on a physical product because it was so labour intensive. Don't you think, looking back on it now, seems to be seems to be less and less appetite for physical products. And just oh, listen, the proofs, it's, the spelling, it's the just... artwork, you know, everything. And the, the age, particularly the age of podcasts, you record a podcast, you put it up. Do you know what I mean? I mean, I, 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 that that physical labour of, of handcrafted physical objects, I don't miss that. You... When I posted a couple of weeks ago when it was there, I don't know when was the actual anniversary when it closed and when the announcement went out, you know, I posted something on Twitter about it. And, you know, there's people responded. People are very nice and very yeah. kind and so forth. But a few people say, can't you get back together again just to do one issue? <laughs> I felt like... I felt like I wish I had the home, home address of these people so I could go around and tell them just how utterly impossible yeah. that would be. You know what, what I mean? Absolute agony. Because, you know, it's just, you know, it's hard enough to do something regularly, um, you know, when you're when you're going uphill. And don't forget, you know, the whole market was... It was an uphill struggle. It didn't matter whether you were Q, Bojo, or the word, yeah, yeah. or anybody. They're all suffering the, exactly the same things, which is there was no growth and there was no advertising and things were just going backwards. And you were you were trying to do a thing that you know fewer and fewer people had an appetite for. But the idea that you could ever get those people together to do that just once. It's, that, it's the Magnificent it's, Men it's thing. It's the Magnificent yeah, but, Seven. You know, but I, I said, you know, and I, was, I wasn't being kind of flip. I said, if you can find, you know, 2,000 people who would pay £100 each. Possibly, pay in advance. <laughs> well, that's the point, yes. <laughs> yeah, you yeah, know. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, that is just utterly impossible. The only thing I'd say, I'd say about about, well, it was about Word... That's the sweet thing. The point about Word... Yeah, no, OK, and that's fine. Um, but this is Word, every bit as much as yeah, that was is. Word. It is. Uh, this, this is it. Not the same tone. Uh, the same and, kind of editorial. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah, and, um, and you know, we, we don't have to do the things you used to have to do. I mean, can you, if you've never done it... You know, I, it's impossible to get through to people just how much dog work, leg work, labour, bureaucracy, politicking, 
glue sticking, travel, <laughs> expenses filing, bureaucracy, was involved in yeah. even an 800-word piece yeah. in a print magazine that was done to any kind of standard. You cannot believe how much work that, that there was in those things. But the beautiful like thing feature is film, Feature film level of work, yeah. levels of work involved in those kind of things. And, and you do them... And it would come out, and you know, you'd sell a few copies, and then, and then it's just gone. It's just it's. But the people thing away. is, they did exist. It exists, and people still have them. But I mean, my God, looking back at it now, it does seem it's a tough old gig, wasn't it? Well, it's it's like anything, Mark. It's you know, I'm sure you could apply this to anything, to pop music, to to you know, to sports, to anything. If it's all going well, it's the easiest job in the world. <laughs> That's it. If I remember it's not that going so well, well. If it's not the going well, it's the hardest job in the world. I, know, I really overnight because the, you're 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 doing more work for lesser claim, aren't you? Yes, for less, and you just can't see that. When we were on smash hits in the early eighties, what a what a dream that was because it was really hard work. But all the time you had this following wind, and every issue seemed to sell more than the last one. And you used to somehow completely wrongly think that it sold more because somehow you had produced you. a more fantastic no. magazine. That's simply no. not true. There were just a load no. of people in the market for it who never heard of it, and suddenly they yeah. saw Howard Jones on the covers. Oh, I like him. I'll buy it. You know, yeah. not no, yeah. not necessarily to do with you at all. No. So, you know, we do, do, it's 10 years since the word closed. Um, do, do you know, we great fondness for it and great fondness for all the people who were fond of it and are still fond of Huge the idea. Fond, yeah. But, you know, would we go back to cranking out a monthly magazine? There, there isn't the money in the world that would persuade me to do it. I don't know about you, Mark, but there is not the money in the world. The Word Podcast. Two cocoa tins and a piece of string. Do you see the story about the Eagles? And, um, and oh, I the, did. These three, three chaps are in court in oh. the United States over um, allegedly, um, you know, stealing a, a, a whole load of kind of original lyrics and notes and so forth about the Eagles Hotel California. Uh, and, oh, no, and, and I didn't see that story. No, oh, okay. Oh, and no, trying no. to... Uh, and offering them for sale. Um, and Don Henley, who has, you know, a memory that is that a Serbian would doff his, doff his hat to. You know. <laughs> Don, Don Henley does... Dr. Ian, the late Ian Paisley would have recognised yeah. one, of, one of his own in Don Henley. He does not forget at all. And, uh, and of course, he is the sole, uh, sole heir, really, isn't he, of the original Eagles? Oh, I suppose Joe Walsh and so forth. Um, so what was told him? This was... This was uh, there's basically, somehow, and the missing bit of the story is, is a load of material related to Hotel California. Pr paper, you know, handwritten yeah. stuff, notes, I don't know, maybe studio notes, maybe, maybe uh, you know, tries at lyrics and all that kind of stuff was given or somehow found its way into the hands yeah. of somebody. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. 
They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Who was writing a biography of the Eagles. And this is, I think, back in the, well, it's quite a few years ago. This is yeah. A few de- decades ago. And then, the, and then was presumed to have disappeared. This has somehow found its way in, in, in onto the kind of the same market, the same market, albeit on a smaller scale, that stolen works of art probably turn up in in oligarchs. I'm sure it is. in oligarchs' cow sheds. But how are they rumble trying to, to 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 sell this? Well, one of them, one of them is a curator of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Oh, this is so, bad. Yeah, it's, this is bad. It's, it's but it, it's the idea that it's got to court, and the thing that go and have a look on the New York Times website or whatever, because when I saw a picture of these three guys in court at the early kind of hearings, the Americans, the Americans have a big thing about kind of public disgrace, and they always put three people through what they call the perp walk, don't they? You know that the key thing about being arrested is you should be seen to be arrested. Yeah. You should be seen going in and out of a courtroom or whatever. These three guys were in court, and they had handcuffed behind. They were handcuffed behind their backs, which I thought for, for guys who've. Who've allegedly half inch <laughs> lyrics from Hotel there, California there, there is a little crimes. bit heavy handed. Yeah. Just in case there hadn't been anybody else in the courtroom who had a kind of yes. original manuscript of a Leonard yeah. Cohen lyric, you know. Yes, just, don't just think that's going to be safe. You know, you can, can't imagine what kind of trouble you'd get in if you'd organised an insurrection against the American Constitution. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You'd be in a terrible state if you that's mean. what happens to you when you. When you walk off with, you know, a copy of Pretty Maids all in a row from uh, Hotel California. <laughs> anyway, that's what's going on in the United States, honestly. And, you know, it's a crazy, crazy town, crazy people. Crazy people. So, so keep, keep an eye on that one. Uh, also in legal news... I was interested to see that there was a, a, a court case. There's always a court case every week uh, of some erstwhile members of a group arguing about who owns the legacy, who's got the rights to trade on the name. You know, is it going to be Led Zeppelin? Is it going to be the Moody Blues? Is it going to be Van Halen? Is it going to be the Sex Pistol? Is it going to be the Clash? Is it going to be the Human League? Or is it no. the Rubets? It's the Rubets. I love that. Because the Rubets. The Rubets. The idea that you there would have been there was a group, you know, forty nine years ago, in kind of uh, uh, fiercely creased uh, white flared trousers with giant lapels and uh, absurd collars and feather cut haircuts, you know, uh, and an entire soap opera could be written about the backstabbing, deceit, attrition. <laughs> chicanery, skullduggery 
but involved in this group, the Rubettes, reminds you that actually every single group, doesn't matter what group they are and what level they're operating on, has a completely unique story, doesn't it? Because in this case, the story is, I think, is Alan Williams the singer, right? Something like that. And Alan Williams, Williams did not write Sugar Baby Love, which is what the whole issue is about, because it's still quite a big hit and makes a lot of money. Didn't write it. Was the manager of the group. Uh, was 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 accused by the others of being kind of heavy-handed and uh, you know very secretive about the cash the band received, etc. Wasn't he? And uh, the others uh, were involved in a in a clandestine and secret plan to split from him. Uh, and it's all I mean, it's just you have no idea who's right, who's wrong, whatever. And it's the Rubettes, for Christ's sake. It would be really good uh, to have a Friday night uh, BBC Four serious documentary that pretended it was The Clash, but actually it was the Bat the Rubettes. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The great, the great truth is all groups are the same. All groups Completely are the same. Completely the same. Completely. And, uh, you know, well, we were talking to Graham Gulman, weren't we, about, about this, uh, you know, when he at our Word in the Park thing the other week. And Graham goes out and performs as 10cc. Well, he used to go out as Graham Goldman's 10cc, but he said he went out on this tour and he just thought, I'll tell you what, I'm just going to call it 10cc and see what happens. And everyone's gone very quiet. So that's yeah. fine. And quite yeah, rightly, because, I mean, you know, for God's sake, if he wants to do it, let him do it. The only reason they're absolutely. not involved with it is they don't want to do it themselves. He's got no, every right. No, no, no. no also, he's quite. a founder of the group and writer of most of the songs, whereas yeah, this, absolutely. this guy's just yeah. had to be the singer of a, of, of, of a band whose most of his material was written by other people. It's amazing. Uh, yeah, it's amazing. So I was Manny amazed. Charlton, to... we should mention oh, Manny yes, Charlton. Oh, yes, Manny Charlton. Manny Charlton, who I interviewed in Out of Nazareth, this is, of course, yeah. the, the guitarist of Nazareth. Of yeah, course, he was the yes. guitar player. Yeah, Dan McCafferty, was it, was the singer? That's right. Was the singer, yes. Yeah. No, he died. And I can remember being sent up by the NME uh, in 1978 to... Um, to interview, to interview Nazareth. I mean, I was desperate to do uh, Crispy Ambulance or, uh, you know what I mean, a certain ratio or the teardrop exposure. But no, I was very much at the bottom of the food chain. It's Funkabolitan. <laughs> it all happened in New South. So I sent up on a private aircraft to the Isle of Man. And, uh, I've told you this before. It was so brilliant. It was just it's a, sorry, statement. sorry, sorry. Hold on. Hold on. I've never heard private aircraft before. Tell me yeah, what private was the aircraft. private aircraft. From where? Prime Minister, uh, it was from, where did we go from? London? We went from London with the management of the group. Who else was on the plane? I can't remember. Photographer? Me? Very small plane. Straight to the island. So not, not a scheduled flight. It oh, no, was no, a... no. It was in a private aircraft. And I can wow. remember, I know, and I can remember that that's the amount of money Nazareth must be making at the time. And the fact that living on the Isle of Man was the, the fact they were tax, tax exiles. And as I told you before, it was like Stella Street, because in the same road, there were members of Status Quo coming out to get their milk bottles, you know, just looking <laughs> down the street, there were these hairy old guys. And what struck me about Manny Chant was, was interesting was he was mortified by punk rock. I mean, really, really miserable I'm sure. it. His, I'm sure. <laughs> the rug had been comprehensively pulled from under his feet. You know, his entire career appeared to be over, which I suppose in sense with Nazareth it was. You know, and he was just, uh, he just felt redundant and miserable and couldn't help complaining about it. But uh, no, I thought he was an interesting guy because the the interesting pop fact was that Guns N' Roses, Axl Rose, etc., slash, loved Nazareth, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. And they yeah. loved a, um, a particular track, it was the Hair of the Dog, I think. 
And if you right, listen to yeah, Hair of the Dog, Dan McCafferty was yeah, I think it's a track on the on the on the album. And Dan McCafferty sounds exactly like Axl Rose. And so they said, let's get the guy who produced this. Oh, in. Really? Yeah. And they got him in. Actually, he did produce twenty five tracks, I think. Um, uh, Manny Charlton, but they, he just didn't have the time to finish the whole project, and somebody else brought it in the end. But he was the basic, he was the, he did the basic groundwork for the sound of, uh, of Guns N' Roses. So, you know, the Nazareth legacy, Dave, lives on. Can I just remind ourselves here of how strange it was? You know, Nazareth's big hits were, Mark Ellen, over to you. Do you know what they were? Go on, I don't think I can. They were, I think, though, they did a version of Love Hurts, didn't they? The oh, old yes, ballad. Yeah, it's yeah, kind yeah. of Everly Brothers song, isn't it? Yeah. Love hurts, love hurts, love, love scars, it wounds and miles. Yeah. All that thing. And the other thing, even more surprising, because when I was just refreshing my memory about this this morning, I thought, did that really happen? Yes, it did. Nazareth's big hits was their version of Joni Mitchell's This Flight Tonight. My God, yes. But you remember? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, what a bizarre choice for a kind of gritty <laughs> Scottish hard rock band. And, yeah. and they just they did a you know kick ass version. Yeah, of Joni Mitchell's, you know, none more uh, none more kind of uh, introspective. Know. This flight tonight. Also, they are they are another indication of the enormous uh, influence of the band, aren't they? The band, yes. the group, the group that split up. The, put up cream with the early sort of point carrying on. The group that, without whom Fairport Convention would never have become the Fairport Convention that they did because they, they want to be kind of an English version. They of want to be the band, band. yeah, that's right. that's right. But also uh, Nazareth, who called themselves Nazareth after the character in the, uh, I won't know, or, 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 the, the lyric, the band lyric, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. The Word Podcast. Fix yourself a drink and it's like being in the pub. Welcome to another a little birthday special. The, the very first person we had actually doing a, a birthday special podcast, uh, whatever it was, two years ago, I think, Alan Williams. Alan, lovely to see you again and happy birthday. And you. uh, you've been, I, I think, continuing your energetic hunt for hypnosis album sleeves. Yeah, well, I think we spoke about this last year and you asked me if I was trying to collect them all and I was a bit evasive. But I think I've realised this year I, I am trying to collect them all. Oh, he's ah, coming out. Right. Yeah. And so, okay, so how many are there and how many have you got? Well, I think that I've got a book that they published which lists all the, the actual hypnosis ones. There's about 370, perhaps, of them. Oh, my God. Yeah. But then there's all the, the things that Storm Thorgerson went on to do. Yeah, yeah, made. yeah. So, you know, there's perhaps 500 or something. And Can I've we got, ask how many you've got? Probably about 150, something like that. That's fantastic. Oh, a long way to go. But it's a decent start. It's a yeah. decent start. So yeah. what have you what have you acquired most recently? Uh, well, I, I mean, I've really enjoyed, sort of since lockdown ended, um, been able to go out and about shopping a lot. And most weekends we've managed to sort of stumble on second-hand record shops or charity shops. So, oh, right. Yeah. So you're not buying these online. You're actually going into shops and just hoping there'll be a, yeah, I buy a an few old online, uh, Ainsley Dunbar's retaliation yeah, record. Going to shops. I mean, for, for a birthday treat last Sunday, we went up to Chesterfield where there was a, there was a record fair actually on Chesterfield Market, an open-air one. It was, it was really lovely. So this is your birthday treat, yeah. an open-air record fair at Chesterfield. Yeah, yeah quite, quite a good haul up there, so... But yeah, I've got a few interesting things this year. I mean, this was one I, I got in London. Uh, oh my God, oh, Free yeah. Creek! Yeah, so oh, I mean, I didn't know anything about this, but it's it seems to be a set of sessions. It's got all sorts of yes. people. Yes. Uh, Keith Emerson, yeah. um, 
Mitch Mitchell, I think Eric Clapton's on there, Linda, Linda Ronstadt, Todd Rundgren. God, I have not seen that record for 40 years. Hold up the sleeve years. again. Let's have another look. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a gatefold as well. So. It's called oh, Music amazing. from Free Creek, it was called, that's wasn't amazing. it? Something, something yeah, yeah, yeah. of that yeah. kind. Yeah, absolutely. I think what it was was kind of sessions where these people came together, but they weren't really official things that their record companies had approved. And no. I read it. Somebody, somebody got hold of a load of tapes and thought, yeah, I'm going to yeah. put this yeah, out. So but it, yeah, oh, well, that's good. So that what, else, good. What, what else you got? Good find. Uh, I've got a Halloween. Oh, a, my God, I've never so seen that. Of that. Ones. Yeah. Wow. I quite, quite like that because where are we? Just, just there, I'm pretty sure that that is actually Storm Thorgerson. It looks rather well, like that's him. such oh, a right. hypnosis image, isn't right. it? Yeah. It's so Pink Floyd. Yeah, yeah. There. So that was, that was a good find. Uh, I thought that was a good one. Oh, God. Rainbow. Yes, yes, yes. Snapping on the gloves. Oh, God. Then there was a good book came out this year. Aubrey Powell did a new book telling some of the stories behind... uh, Oh, right, has that come out? Okay. Yeah, it's quite a nice uh, sort of Dark Side of the Moon themed thing, but it's got quite a lot of detailed stories about the the sort of lavish photo shoots they went on. And he talks at great length about, about this one. No, oh, this is oh, amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which cost think, a fortune, didn't it? Yeah, this was a statue that McCartney owned. And he, he said to Orby Powell, we want to take a picture of that. So it was either the Matterhorn or the Eiger. Yeah. But they, they couldn't actually get there. But basically they chartered helicopters and flew this thing out at great expense. And and then I think when they got it back and showed McCartney, he said, oh, you could have just done that in the studio. <laughs> Absolutely. And that was and that was bill. The, yeah. and that's the turning point, isn't it? Because that's the amazing thing about hypnosis stuff, particularly the early stuff, is they did it. They actually did it. If you want a load of balls in the in the North African desert for the was it the nice album Elegy? I think it yeah. was, wasn't it? Yeah. You took a load of balls out to the North African de- desert and you inflated them and you photographed them. The idea chased now them that you would have to to inflate a giant pig and physically fly it over the Battersea Power Station it seems absolutely absurd, doesn't it? Yeah. Although even that one, they ended up, they had to do it in, in, in more than one day because the sky wasn't right or whatever. Yeah, yeah, And yeah. so it was it was comped together yeah. from from two sessions. <laughs> so that yeah. was the kind of beginning of the the age of fakery we live yeah. in now. So so those are ones you've acquired. Uh, you know, what what's your kind of holy grail of uh, hypnosis album covers? What's the one you really want? Might be somebody out there who's got one. Yeah, I think that there's a couple by a group called Flash that are quite. Uh, oh right, of course. Um, Steve Pete Banks out of Yes. Yes. Yeah. Was it well done though? That's very good. Yeah. Very impressive. There's a few of the Pink Floyd ones I need. I mean, you find those quite often, but they tend to be a little bit overpriced because it's Pink Floyd. So I just, you know, if I see a yeah. good bargain one, I will. But it's some of the more obscure ones are, are quite uh, quite interesting. Um, one thing I know you're always interested in how people um, itemize their or store their records. All right, go on. Yeah, what yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I took the radical decision. I thought I'm going to have a separate hypnosis section. So to about, oh, wow, out there. Along, that's all the hypnosis. So, how many, how many yards? That's of hypnosis very advanced. That is, yeah. that really, that's really good. So it was, it's easier to find them. Yeah, um, yeah. This is what I, I was, um, I'd been looking out for, and I found in Manchester a few. Oh, well, of course. Oh, my it's a compilation. It's got a 
various people. It's got a bit of Kevin Ayres and there's a bit of Pink Floyd. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. just think that's sort of typical of their their photo yes. style. Really. Yes, absolutely. And I think, you know, it's from the very early 70s. But, uh, yeah, and there's a kid on the back stone at a dead crow or something. There you go. So there commercial. Go. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so uplifting. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Oh, well, keep keep your quest going, yeah. uh, Alan, and uh, you know we, we should no doubt come back next year to see yeah, if well, you we'll see, see, we'll see the next yard. We'll see if you've gone, if you've gone if you've gone further up. Yes, yeah. you're listening to the Word Podcast, where the time is whenever you want it to be. So, Alex, it's it's a red letter day on Planet Indy, isn't it? You're, you've all got the bunting out and the oh, hats great... on the side of your head. And small children are got, we, yeah, running we've got about. Our bu- bucket hats on the side of our head. <laughs> <laughs> why? Why are you celebrating, Alex? Why? Why? Why is the Le Tout Planet Indy on fete? Why is it? Why? Well, it's uh, it's it's Nolmus. Because it's, it's, the, it's the 25th anniversary of a seminal Oasis record, Be Here Now. Which, there uh, you go. Is, is, is approximately four days of, of unbridled, ear-destroying joy. <laughs> so are people swinging around lampposts and clicking their heels and uh, stranger kissing stranger, that kind of thing? Well, actually, uh, I, I, there's a lot of... Uh, Be Here Now is a big question mark, as you probably know very well, uh, because it is... You know, um, you can't. You start listening to it, and you finish listening to it. You've grown several beards in that space of time. And, um, you know, you you you, you touch. You, you you just listen to half a song, and you get high. I mean, that's I mean, that's the the the, the level of chemical uh, overindulgence that was involved in the making of that record. But also, the general consensus is there was it was dismal rubbish, wasn't it? Well, isn't that the general feeling? Do you know I, what I mean? Stand by me. I mean, all around yeah, the world, this is not the first album, Magic. Well, I suppose surely. you know. Um, lead single was do you know what i mean wasn't it and that's seven minutes long and the first minute of that bear in mind this is the lead single of the track the first minute of this song is helicopter noise and morse code for a minute oh, and the chorus dear. doesn't come in for about three minutes i don't think yeah yeah, yeah. absolutely it's just a complete kind of you know it's 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 uh uh outlandish to say the least but i think that be here now is going to go um undergo a bit of a revision you know <laughs> Oh, okay. God, well, Fighting good, good luck with that. <laughs> well, it's kind of a marker point of a particular era, isn't it? And, you know, um, at that point, there was only one way for Oasis to go, and that was bigger and more overblown and more overindulged. And it delivered on all those points. And, the, 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 you know, the problem... In a good I think, way? I th- yeah, well, yeah, there's some absolute gold in there, I think. There's a track... That, Track, uh, the track two on the record is a track called My Big Mouth and it's fantastic it just sounds like you're being thrown through a wind tunnel it's, it's, it's just so dynamic it's brilliant it's got one of Liam's best vocals I think um, but it's the whole record is swimming in 18 layers of guitars the tracks are too long it wasn't edited uh, there's no real bass frequency on the record I think what Owen Morris who's a producer did he, he mixed it having taken out a lot of the low and so it's it's very mid rangey and for those who kind of aren't really au fait with studio y kind of terms, it it sounds a little bit dirgy because of that. There's yeah. no kind of differentiation between there's no clarity there. Um but there was some really, really great stuff involved in all that. And I think 
you know, at the time, the the hype didn't help because it could never, ever, 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 ever live and being lived live live up to all the hype it was being given. You know, it's basically being held at as uh, you know humanity's greatest gift uh, since since our inception as a species. By everybody, or <laughs> might, can, can I just quiet. put my can I put my hand up at this point? Because I didn't, but I, yeah. a lot of people did. But that's how yeah, it was. There being was sold, wasn't I it? mean, well, the interesting thing about the Oasis to me in that whole era was that the country was kind of drunk on itself. <laughs> That's my memory of it at the time. We got the biggest, they're the biggest band in the world. No, they weren't. You know what I mean? They were the biggest band in the UK, undoubtedly. Um, but, but Britain was very kind of high on itself at the time, you know, in, in, in lots and lots of respects, and they were kind of classics out of that. So, okay, well, you've, uh, you, you've mounted your, uh, you know, your passionate uh, uh, defence, and we shall see whether there is a, you know, a, a, massive, um, a massive reinvestigation of this 25 years on. Talking of the passing of time and Planet Indy, Alex, mm-hmm. you posted me... The other day, you concerned that Dave Grohl, uh, a man about whom you will not have anything said that is in any way negative, had had reached a particular a, a particular <laughs> particular milestone in his life. Go on, explain to this. Explain this. Okay. Well, uh, Dave Grohl has now officially hit uh, the Meldrew point. Now, the Meldrew point is the the. Uh, <laughs> Is when you are the exact age that Richard Wilson was when he first started playing Victor Meldrew, uh, which is 19,537 days old, which in layman's terms is 53 and a bit. Um, but Dave Grohl has passed that point now, and uh, it's you know I still won't hear a negative thing said about him. That's misleading because because he was playing a much much older man, wasn't he? But it's amazing he's but, 53. But it's know? interesting. Like okay, Clive so Dunn and, you know. so so there you go. So Clive Dunn was was how old when he first played Corporal Jones in Dad's Probably Arm? 38 or something. I don't know. 40. Guessing. He was he was 48. He was yeah. he was. Pretty much the youngest of the, of the main yeah, cohort yeah, yeah, yeah. Of, da- of Dad's army cast, apart from being Lavender and so forth. So Dave Grohl is now 53, which means that he's now one year too old to play Paul McCartney's grandfather in Hard Day's Night. Because wow. when Wilfred Gra- Bramble God, appeared wow. in Hard Day's Night yeah, yeah, as yeah. Paul's grandfather... Yeah. It was the epitome of everything elderly, and yes. I fought in the war for the likes of you oh, and yeah. all that. Missing teeth, probably. He <laughs> was fifty-two years old now. He had admittedly a character actor, and he'd always also always played, you know, played older. Um, but he's still, you know, if you want to, if you want to do a kind of a picture of a disapproving grandfather figure, um, Wilfred Bramble in Hard Day's Night. So in the railway than carriage, Richard Wilson. Does, fantastic. does the job. He's younger than Richard Wilson. Oh, that's so great. And younger than Dave Grohl is to this day. Also so, 53, uh, Marilyn Manson. They're not getting any younger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nicky Wire, yeah. James Dean Bradfield. I think I've just begun Graham Coxon. It's happening. I would yeah, do a lot of them. Yeah. Well, the alternative is not attractive, is it, really? <laughs> <laughs> so get a, get older. You know, everybody, older. All, all the it. cool kids. All the cool kids are doing it, getting doing. older. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, um, what have we been doing recently? Have we got new patrons, uh, Alex? Anything we ought to tell people about? We do. We've got some new people to welcome to the fold, and they are yes. Let's do um, that. Sid D. Hello, Sid. Sid. Very nice to hear you. Nick Gould. 
Nick Gould, come Hello, on in. Nick. Come on down. The fantastically named Lance Rifle. Oh, that's Lance, true. right? That's excellent. That can't be real. That's is brilliant. that recovered real? I that's like a regiment. I like to think it's real. <laughs> that's a really good okay. name. We want to know if it's real. Parents or with a, a and the wonderful, wonderfully monosyllabic Pam. Pam, Pam. good well, Pam. for Pam. You're all very, very welcome. And if anybody would like to join this uh, this host of right thinking, right acting individual, the place to do it is patreon.com slash word in your ear. And you can find out where, where you like to come in on that particular relationship ladder shall we call it that Ooh, what cool. else have we been we've been doing recently we did a fantastic word of your ear the other day with bruce finley oh he was so Who's good bruce finley people say i'm saying bruce is a figure unique in british music business history he is he is because he's the he person the... most closely associated with the name of a record shop isn't it? Bruce's Records from Edinburgh. Bruce's of, Records. Of the many branches all over Scotland, in fact. Absolutely. And, there, there, you know, I, I'm trying to think. There was Andy's in Cambridge, wasn't there? There was Andy's in Cambridge. And presumably there was an Andy. Uh, but Bruce always had a bit of a profile because he went on and he managed Simple Minds and did loads of things like that. Um God, but it was listen, interesting. That was so was interesting. Fantastic. Just the little details. One detail was saying that record uh, companies used to put out their albums to coincide with the first week of the college grant because yep. people had more money. It was great. They also used to, in the shops, you had a little rack called Bruce's Nice Sounds where you'd have Miles Davis and the Incredible String Band and all sorts of all varieties. So he talks about the, the extraordinary stories about you know, the golden days of the, of the LP, LP trade. He talks about the weekend when he, he went out on a limb and ordered 500 copies of the first album by an unknown group, and I'm not going to tell you who the group is. And he sold them all. And by the time he was yeah. halfway through Saturday, yeah, yeah. he'd rung up to yeah. get more. And yeah. if you want to know who the group was, and you and loads of other stories like that, um, you know, make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel. And if you don't, if you haven't already done that, make sure you do that because that'll be coming up very soon, along with other unmissable stuff. This podcast was brought to you by The Word. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com. <laughs>